Get your family vehicles ready for summer driving with early Memorial Day deals at Dobbs. Click on GoToDobbs.com for money, save, retire, and service deals today. Dobbs. With 43 locations, real deals are always close by. GEICO asks, how would you love a chance to save some money on insurance? Of course you would. And when it comes to great rates on insurance, GEICO can help. Like with insurance for your car, truck, motorcycle, boat, and RV. Even help with homeowners' or renters' coverage. Plus, add an easy-to-use mobile app, available 24-hour roadside assistance, and more, and GEICO is an easy choice. Switch today and see all the ways you could save. It's easy. Simply go to GEICO.com or contact your local agent today. Time now for the Balloon Party on the Tim McKernan Podcast. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Yes, yes. Welcome in. It's Balloon Party 101 ESPN. Timothy Michael McKernan, Action Jackson Burkett with you on the show for one hour. And uh, it's an hour of magic that uh, solicits your involvement by texting in to the Air Comfort Service text line or by leaving a mic drop using the 101 ESPN app. Jackson, what's the good word? I need to know what the good word is. Uh, the good word is, it's the rainy day here today, but that, that means it's good for takes. Oh, rain is good for takes. It's conducive. I thought you uh, sent over, I told you this right at the end of TMA, four wonderful questions for today's discussion. Thank I really you. enjoyed them. And Thank you said you put some real time into this? Yeah. I'm kind I of took... wondering about the process for you. <laughs> it takes, some days it takes more than others. You know, cardinal off day usually means that I can kind of be a little more, more creative with the questions. And uh, I thought, you know, let me really dig into this and take a second. Not that I don't take a while on other days. It's you know, usually about a half hour process, but yesterday I really got into, I don't know, I kind of tapped into the creative side of my mind. Well, I enjoyed it and it sets the stage for a uh, wonderful discussion today. You know, we're on uh, 105.7 HD2 doing TMA from 7 to 10. And uh, I, I wanted, and we said this when we were on TMA this morning, but I wanted to say it here on 101 ESPN with Jeff Burton passing yesterday. Just what a wonderful, wonderful person he was. And there's a real sense of family here at Hubbard Radio. Um, you have a variety of stations, all incredibly successful, full of really quality people. It has been so welcoming and refreshing uh, for us to be a part of it. And Jeff Burton, certainly one of the best as far as on air and off air, seeing him doing show at the same time. And I've known him, I don't know how many years I had known him. And while there is nothing that, that makes the loss of Jeff Burton better, anybody who passes away at 55 from cancer, there's no way to spin that positively. But one of the things that stands out to me over about the last month in texting with him and not even being aware that he was in a spot to text, and I saw Riz in the break room one day, and he said, yeah, he's texting, he's, I'm communicating with him, and I'm like, that's great. So I was texting with him. He was able to find out that people really loved his, not only his talent, but appreciated his kindness. Right. And that is um, a, a beautiful thing that he and his family, his wife and his daughters were able to feel the appreciation for how great of a life he lived and how many people he made happy, whether it be via his kindness or his talent. And I thought what the, the radio stations did here yesterday in handling that was uh, first class in the face of tragedy. As you can imagine, people here uh, are incredibly despondent. 
and saddened by losing a great teammate and just a talent. And I know many people in the St. Louis area are as well. Um, but in the end, when Riz went on the Rizzuto show um, sometime, I believe, in, in early mid-July and told people what the situation was, that allowed listeners and coworkers to let Jeff know how much it meant to him. And uh, and I think in the end he he had an appreciation for just how much his appreciation was. We exchanged text messages, and um, he said, you know, it's it's weird. This is what people uh, I eulogize. I'll say, look around and see how many people are here. That tells you a lot about the caliber of life the person lived. And I think all of the outpouring you see uh, in, on social media and on radio stations throughout the St. Louis area and really beyond the St. Louis area speak to the caliber of person Jeff Burton was and the incredible life that he lived. Definitely, yeah. I only knew him for a brief time when we first got over here in January, but every time I'd speak to him, he was so nice. He spoke to me like he had known me for years. He was wonderful, incredibly talented. I mean, even off the air, it felt like you were kind of talking to a a seasoned comedian because he's so quick and so witty and just a, a wonderful human being and my heart goes out to his family and everyone here at hubbard because it, you're right it is a family and he was one of the best of us this is kind of a more of a tma approach uh, here which i usually kind of separate from 101 espn and, and doing tma for 18 years but i will make this observation and then i'll go back into 101 espn mode but you know the Rizzuto show is an incredibly successful show um, and those guys as a whole are so down to earth. They are great people across the board. And they're, and one of the reasons why that show I think is so successful is because it is like a family. And when you're with your family, assuming you have a, a good dynamic, one of the best parts about being with family is you can give each other trouble. And that is one of the dynamics of that show that makes it work so well. And they set a tone for the other shows in the market across the board. Take your pick of whatever show you would want to, whether it be in morning drive, afternoon drive, middays, doesn't matter. Because if the if the top behaves the way like they do, and they do, and they are first class across the board, uh, it sets a tone. And so, you know, I've, I've, I've told them, I've told Riz that certainly. I think I've said it to Patrico. Uh, I might have said it when I was on with those guys for a segment when we first came over here. Um, they're really good guys, and those guys are hurting, as is everybody here at Hubbard today. Uh, people have been hurting for a while once we knew about Jeff's situation, but um, to lose Jeff Burton, who's such a great person and incredibly talented, I can't speak enough to his kindness and his quick wit. He is an absolute legend, first class, absolute first class person. And his legacy will live on forever in St. Louis radio. It was an incredible career and an even better life. So uh, our thoughts are with the Burton family and everybody here at Hubbard Radio in St. Louis is down about losing one of the all-time greats. So I wanted to make sure I said that at the beginning of our show today uh, because I love that guy. And, uh, and I know a lot of you in the audience loved him too and everybody here in this building 
loved him. So I wanted to make sure that we started with that. And uh, and our thoughts will continue to be with everybody on The Riz Show, everybody at 105.7 The Point, and Jeff's friends and family, of which I'm sure many of you who met him felt like you were one of them, even if it was just in passing. That's the kind of guy Jeff Burton was. Tim McKernan, Jackson Burkett with you. Uh, we welcome you to give your thoughts, 65780. Leave a mic drop as, uh, as we talk about Jeff Burton. And of course, we also will do our standard show here on Balloon Party on 101 ESPN. Tim McKernan and Action Jackson with you, 65780. Jackson uh, sent over some wonderful questions here for today's program. And uh, and we'll start with this one. As the Cardinals have an off day before they begin a three-game series with the Rockies, if they get it in tonight, I don't know what the situation will be with this weather. It's supposed to rain throughout the course of the afternoon and then maybe clear it up. And, uh, and we'll see how that plays out. I guess that would lead to a doubleheader. I don't think that's necessarily advantageous for the Cardinals mm-hmm. against a team like the Rockies. But with that all said, uh, CBS Sports has Tony La Russa ranked number one on their manager hot seat report. If Tony were to be let go by the White Sox, how do you think his stint there will be viewed from a national, Chicago, and St. Louis perspective, respectively? Do you think it will have any lasting effects on his legacy? Do you think the way... The media portrayed him, gave him a fair shake at being successful on the South Side. Uh, Jackson, uh, I'll, I'll yield the floor to you here for this one, and then I will go into my opinion on it because I actually feel pretty strongly about this situation. Yeah. So I remember when he was hired by the White Sox, uh, the first thing I always heard about was like, "This is such a young team with so much young talent, such a very like a, a swagger about them. Why would they hire Tony Larusa?" So out of the gate. I felt from, a, and this is just how I perceived it, that the talking points around Tony was not that he's, you know, I think the only manager to win a World Series in both the AL and the NL, a Hall of Fame manager. It was, why are they having this old guy coach this young team? And I just felt like, well, give him a fair shake. You know, they've talked about his relationship with superstars in the past. And I was just like, you got to give him, I mean, he's a Hall of Fame manager. And so I felt from the get-go, he was he kind of started behind the pace already. Like he wasn't given a, a fair shake, in my opinion. I thought, and I get they've had some issues, but they've also had a ton of injuries, and uh, there were some ways they handled handled Mercedes that people were critical of, which is fair. I just felt like he was from the get go was not given a proper deal in Chicago. I agree with the assessment, and I don't think it was limited to Chicago, but I agree with that. Now, here is my thought process on why that took place. And just for the record, the White Sox are only two games out of first place, mm-hmm. by the way. And mm-hmm. that, I mean, you want to talk about the National League Central. Right. The American League Central is hackneyed as well. It's just it's not the, – the bottom isn't as bad as the, the National League Centrals, okay. but the top situation, the Cleveland Guardians are a first-place team. And I think a lot of people went into this year thinking that was just going to be a, a dumpster fire. So with that said, here's, here's the way things work, in my opinion, in 2022 and maybe over the last few years, probably because social media, because social media now leads to receipts. If someone – and this isn't limited to media people, but I'm specific on the La Russa topic – if someone has a take that they go on the record with, and it's actually like, you know, I could see the Cardinals winning the National League this year. Well, that's not really. You're, you're hedging, and that's right. wonderful. And then you can go back if you really want to and say, oh, I said the Cardinals were going to win the National League. Well, no, you see, they could. I mean, the Padres could win the National League. The Braves could win the National League. And, of course, the Mets and Dodgers could win the National League. I suppose the Brewers could yeah. win the National League. So that's not really that bold. But if you go out 
before something happens, so you're not doing a results-oriented column or podcast or show, and you get bold on it, and there were a lot of bold opinions on the LaRusa thing, well, then you want to be right. And one of the few things few t- things you'll see here as of late is people acknowledging, oh, I was wrong on something, which to me you can apply well beyond sports media. Uh, but for whatever reason, that's the game now, and I think social media plays a role in it. And so LaRusso was was demonized at the outset, as was Jerry Reinsdorf, for making that hire. And I think the reason for it actually was not as much about Tony LaRusso, but about as his age. Because I think for a lot of baseball media, and I'm not saying everyone, and I guess I would fall in the category of baseball media. Hell, I don't know what I am. Uh, but but the, the fear is the game is getting away from younger people. And so if you go and hire a 77-year-old and you've taken this supposedly young, exciting roster and put them with a 77-year-old who isn't really known for being fun, then now you have damaged one of the potential brands that could be exciting, that could bring in young people, that if you look at it internally, selfishly, you go, it would be good for my career if young people are following not only the Padres and Tatis and the Bat Flips, which were condemned less than a decade ago, but also an exciting young team on the south side of Chicago. And so it was mitigated by hiring an older manager, and so he was chastised mainly because of his age, not because of his resume. That's what I believe. And so, yes, Jackson, I agree that he was starting behind the eight ball because many in the media were condemning the hire. So then people get their messaging from the media and it's framed a certain way because many at the outset were critical of him and they didn't want to be proven wrong. Well, he won the central in his first year. And even though he's being talked about as being on the top of the hot seat now, the Chris Woodward's been fired by the Rangers. He's only two games out of first place and they are 60 and 56. Right. So he's got a winning record and they are certainly still in the playoff hunt. So with that all said, um, I, I feel like this is more about the media than it actually is about Tony LaRusso. That's where I'm coming from on that. I do not think it would tarnish his legacy. I don't go, well, Michael Jordan and the Wizards, right, you know, exactly. yeah, yeah. Uh, not to compare LaRusso and Jordan. But my, my point, be, I, I don't go Brett Favre and the Jets or Brett Favre and the Vikings, even though he had a nice run with the Vikings. I just, you know, people want to keep playing and sometimes it works out. Sometimes it does not work out. People want to keep managing. Sometimes it works out. Sometimes it does not work out. But this guy had success in Chicago initially, then in Oakland, and then in St. Louis. And, you know, I, what, what's going on in Chicago to me is more about the media than it is about Tony LaRusso. Your thoughts, 65780. That is one of Jackson's questions today. The next one uh, I enjoyed on, on this one uh, as well. Do you think it's at all odd that Albert Pools isn't getting the Derek Jeter or David Ortiz-style retirement tour that he certainly deserves? I see some teams honoring him before road games, and crowds give him the occasional standing ovation, but overall it doesn't seem like the full deal. Do you think part of that reason is because he played the lion's share of his prime years in a smaller market, whereas the two aforementioned players, Jeter or Ortiz, played in big East Coast markets? Or do you think there is some speculation that he may not be calling it quits what do you think, or do you think my assessment of the retirement tour is incorrect? That's the question for the next segment. This is Balloon Party. You can give your thoughts, 65780. Leave a mic drop via the 101 ESPN app. We'll talk about the pool's retirement tour or lack thereof next here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Balloon Party on the Tim McKernan Podcast. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. 
Welcome back. This is Balloon Party 101 ESPN. My name is Tim McKernan. The gentleman standing across from me is Action Jackson, and we welcome you to participate in the show. 65780 is how you can text an air comfort service text line. It is 1020 in St. Louis, and this time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers. The question posed by the great Jackson Burkett before we went to commercial break, and we want your interaction on it, uh, is as follows here regarding Albert Pujols. Do you think it's at all odd that Albert Pujols isn't getting the Derek Jeter or David Ortiz-style retirement tour that he certainly deserves? I see some teams honoring him before road games and crowds give him the occasional standing ovation, but overall it doesn't seem like the full deal. Do you think part of the reason is because he played the lion's share of his prime years in a smaller market, whereas the two aforementioned players played in Big East Coast markets? Or do you think there is some speculation that he may not be calling it quits? What do you think? Or do you think my assessment of the retirement tour is incorrect? My observation on the retirement tour is as follows, Jackson. There was no retirement tour until Manny Machado said something. That's when I noticed it. Right. I'm not saying all of baseball is listening to Manny Machado. I just recall he said something that he thought it was odd that nobody was doing anything for him, and then teams started doing things for him. Happened in Denver, happened in Philadelphia. I'm Toronto? I think Toronto I'm, did as yeah, well. Yeah. Um, now, I do not think it is because he played in St. Louis. Here is why I think it's not getting as much attention. And I actually have to say, I understand it. Albert Pujols, for the most part, for the last decade, has been an average baseball player, which sounds, I suppose, like blasphemy in St. Louis. It's not personal. It's, you know, statistical. Um, Or you could even make a case below average in some seasons. So it is very rare in the game's history to have somebody play as long as he has played when the second half of his career has been as average as it has. And so if you are another organization or if you are younger, and I would put your age range in that category, you don't know or understand or remember how great he was. Because the Albert Pujols you think of is, oh, there's the guy who, you know, kind of hobbles around at first base or pops up at DH for the Angels. Now, in St. Louis, the reason why Sunday was so significant wasn't just beating the team that the Cardinals are competing with for the National League Central, but because he hit two home runs. And and I don't know if any market, as far as a top 25 media market, loves nostalgia more than St. Louis, and that might be a double-edged sword. Uh, as far as why people in St. Louis love the past more so than perhaps other markets. But when you have a past legend come back and rekindle that fire at the tail end of his career, as in the final month and a half of his career, that gets people worked up here. But I think across the country and across baseball, for many people, the last time he was anything of a force was more in the 2011 World Series than even like 2016. Mm-hmm. And so I, when Derek Jeter was retiring, yes, he wasn't the same guy he was when the Yankees had rattled off 98 against the Padres and 99 against the Braves and 2000 against the Mets. But he still was, you know, playing at a caliber of level that and it was re- relatively speaking recent when he shut it down what it was at this point eight years ago i believe yeah uh that they had won a world series in 2009 
And with regards to David Ortiz, I mean, he was the reason why the Red Sox won the World Series in yeah. 2013 against yeah. the Cardinals. Um, he also transcended sports with uh, the Boston Marathon bombing mm-hmm. and had a personality that was also bigger than the game. So that carries some weight, that even if the play on the field isn't uh, at the level it once was, he's still got recognition from off the field. So I think, I don't think it's an anti-St. Louis, anti-small market, anti-Midwest, pro-East Coast, pro-Coasts, thing i think it's more about the fact that well you know, it's math and he hasn't been the albert pools we saw from 2001 through 2011 here for a long time and yeah. that's what i think it's more about yeah and i didn't think of it that way and i think it's a really good point uh because you're right he hasn't really been what he i mean his ten his 10 years in st louis you could put that up against most players in the history of the game and those numbers would still be at the top of the list um, but you're right. He was not much uh, in his in his stint in Los Angeles, and then his stint with the Dodgers. So I, I hear because David Ortiz was dominant, like up until the day he retired. And Jeter is the captain, as so told on ESPN. So he definitely carries a little bit more weight. But I, I hear what you're saying. It's just you know when you got a guy who just either this year or last season, his average dip below his career average dip below 300 with almost 700 home runs. You just you see this magnitude of this player, and it's like I just feel, and I think Machado was great for saying that because he is a legend, and I, and I hear where you're coming from, and it makes sense. He's just such a legend, one of the all time greats. So I, I always felt. But if you lived in the Bay Area, would you right. be saying this? Exactly that, and that's why I, I asked about the St. Louis element of it because. But it's not about, and I, I understand where you're going, and I just right. want to clarify, it's not about coasts. And I'm not saying you are saying it's about mm-hmm. coast. It's not about the flyover country thing. It's not about small market. I think it's just simply, especially you at, at 24. Mm-hmm. Now, you remember the 2016. That was your kind of baptism, like yep. mine was with 1982. And you got into it big time. But if you're 24 and you grew up in, right. you know, I don't know, Seattle. You'd have to be a real nerd to know. You'd have to be a real baseball nerd. To understand the magnitude of our pools. Right. Because otherwise, he's just been this guy with a big contract for a team that also has been irrelevant. Yeah, that's a big Going back to 2014. And even when the Angels were relevant in 2014, one of the big questions regarding Mike Trout is, why? how come he's not a bigger name? Yeah, right. And it's like when there's a Pac-12 team doing well in college football, but they play in off hours relative to the SEC or Big Ten, or yeah. when the Big 12 has a good team, uh, that they kind of fly under the radar. So the second half of it from the media standpoint isn't because he's in L.A. I mean, right. you know, I recognize it's Anaheim, but it's still Los Angeles. The games are nine o'clock, exactly, and yeah. the Coast. attention isn't going to get. And on top of it, he wasn't doing all of that much. Yeah. So it's it's a different set of circumstances. If he would have stayed in St. Louis, for the record, I think it's a great thing for the Cardinals that that did not happen. And I realize there are some people here listening to this show who don't share that opinion, um, and would have performed at a better level then yes, totally different thing. But realistically, I don't think from a health standpoint he would have been able to play daily, and there was no designated hitter until this year. Yeah, yeah. So he wouldn't have gotten the at-bats. Right. So it would have been an albatross of a contract. Hell, it was an albatross of a contract for the Angels. 
And that's coming from somebody who's never seen a better baseball player for the Cardinals than, than Albert Pujols. Definitely. So it's not a criticism of Albert. It's an observation of calling it how I see it. And the Cardinals dodged a bullet when the Angels and Artie Moreno came in and gave him a ridiculous contract and Josh Hamilton a ridiculous contract that had no pitching. And so they weren't really able to do much with it despite the fact that they had Pujols, Hamilton, and Trout because they had very few people who could actually throw balls past hitters. Right. And I see an interesting text here about the retirement tour for Ken Griffey Jr. Uh, kind of similar, had a really red-hot start and was a superstar at the beginning and kind of trailed off towards the end. The difference there, I would say, big, the biggest difference there is Ken Griffey Jr. was like an absolute icon for early, like mid-'90s baseball. And you could speak to that better than I can. But, you know, Ken Griffey Jr. is the coolest player ever, possibly. Like just an incredibly big personality. Whereas Pujols, while, you know, at the plate, best of luck looking at someone better than him. But he didn't have that kind of swagger, that kind of icon status that Ken Griffey Jr. at one point did have and still kind of does have. I mean, his shoes still sell like crazy. Yeah, I mean, Griffey is a, a nice comparison because it was really, once he got to Cincinnati, just dropped off. Right. Most of that health-related. Yeah. But, yeah, just precipitous drop-off. And for somebody who watched him come up in 1989 at 19 years old mm -hmm. uh, to see the way, and the fact that he went till 2010. Yeah, it's crazy. Albeit not really doing a whole lot. Uh, he did hit 19 home runs with the Mariners in 2009. But yeah, he just wasn't the same guy. He was never really the same guy for the most part as he was in Seattle. He did have some big power years in the mid-aughts, but as far as the guy that he was defensively, that's right. the thing that really put him on the map. And that swing was Will right. Clark beautiful. Right. It was an incredible swing, and it was iconic. I mean, he was the, he was the coolest player in baseball at the time. Uh, Tim, the bi-coastal media elite is a pox upon all of our houses. Those extremists need to eat more sweet corn and cover pools more. That is from the 573. MLB is solely responsible for every farewell tour and the hype, the type of hype that they create. That is from the 636. You can promote something all day long, but you can't make people care. Mm -hmm. So what I would tell you is even if that statement were true and the type of hype that's created is something that is in the eyes of the marketplace. And the marketplace, I don't think, is going to go, oh, this is our last chance to see Albert Pujols like the marketplace in St. Louis is, in other words, the other 29 major league cities. It's a nice little smattering of applause for the most part. Right. I think, actually, which will sound perhaps weird, maybe you'll get where I'm coming from, in Cincinnati, whenever the Cardinals play the Reds the last time, uh, Yadier Molina will be a bigger deal there than right. Albert Pujols. Not because of being beloved, but because of being the enemy. Kind of the way that in the end, the Red Sox fans tipped their cap, albeit reluctantly, not, I think, because they liked Jeter, but because they're going to miss hating him. Right. And I, yeah, that's a big element. And for a lot of Reds fans, if you're younger, Albert Pools is like, oh, yeah, he's the guy with the Angels. And I guess I kind of remember as a kid when he was with the Cardinals. But Yadier Molina, I've hated him every single year. Yeah. That's how they'll view him in Cincinnati. Absolutely. You know, Molina smiles as they boo him at the All-Star game. You know, he that's part that. of the game. So, yeah, and, and guys love being the villains more often than being the uh, the face, to yeah. use a professional wrestling term. And w to your point with Jeter, too, and the promotion of it, 
you know, outside of MLB. If you remember Derek Jeter when he was retiring, Jordan had that respect uh, campaign thing that would play. That was a national commercial that would play anytime you watch sporting events. So I, I, the, I just feel like the, the parade of it all was just bigger on those guys. And whether that be for I, probably because they play and they you know playing in New York, Boston, New York, and all the success the Yankees had. Albert, you're right. You know, you go play on the West Coast, you deal with injuries, you become kind of an average baseball player. People tend to forget quickly. All right, Action Jackson, you, you fired four today. Your last one was really good. I might try to cover both in the uh, next segment. We touched on this yesterday, but I find this discussion and the situation very interesting, even if it has little to do with the Cardinals. The Yankees are in a very interesting situation. Their team is in a monster losing skid where it seems pitching has been a big issue. They lost their diamond in the rough hitter of Carpenter. They have injuries to two big hitters, and over it all is the possibility of Judge leaving after the season. Given all the information, could the source of the possible front office and managerial disapproval this coming offseason all be traced back to dealing Jordan Montgomery for Harrison Bader? We could be looking at a meltdown in the Bronx and would it give you any sense of schadenfreude to see the Yankees unfold with a major element being the Redbirds getting Montgomery? Uh, that actually is becoming a bigger topic over the last 24 hours, and I'll tell you why, and we'll go into that question coming up next. This is Balloon Party on 101 ESPN. We are right back to the Balloon Party on the Tim McKernan Podcast. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Welcome back to McKernan with you to the top of the hour. Then it's BK and Ferrario from 11 to 2. Action Jackson. Jackson, would you call yourself producer? Would you call yourself board opera? Would you call yourself co-host? I don't know. Call yourself whatever all, you want. A little bit of all three. I'm not much of a producer. I do I do run the board and I do speak. So I can say I'm board op and co-host. Uh, producing. But you come up with these questions. Yeah, I guess you're right. I'm all three. I'm the total package, five-tool player. Nice. Your thoughts, 65780. Here is his uh, question, and your thoughts are welcome. We touched on this yesterday, but I find the discussion and situation very interesting, even if it has little to do with the Cardinals. The Yankees are in a very interesting situation. Their team is on a losing skid, while it seems pitching has been a big issue. They lost their diamond in the rough hitter of Carpenter. They have injuries to two big hitters, and looming over it all is the possibility of Aaron Judge leaving after the season. Given all the information, could the source of the possible front office and managerial disapproval this coming offseason all be traced back to dealing Jordan Montgomery to St. Louis for Harrison Bader to New York. We could be looking at a meltdown in the Bronx, and would it give you any sense of schadenfreude to see the Yankees unfold with a major element of it being the Redbirds getting Montgomery? Uh, The New York Yankees uh, were in such a great spot that they still have a 10-game lead on take your pick of whoever in the American League East. It's actually t- the, the Orioles are in the mix for a playoff spot. I wonder how many people know that. I love rooting for the Orioles. Uh, the Yankees have been shut out four times since last Saturday night in St. Louis. Yep. Four times. They were shut out again last night. They were shut out by Michael Waka on Sunday night in Boston. They were shut out one nothing in Seattle a week ago, and of course one nothing in St. Louis. Uh, so they have some offensive issues in addition to the attention on that deal. Now, Aaron Hicks is the current center fielder, and he had a uh, tribute to Marcelo Zuna last night as he spun around like a whirling dervish as a ball from David Peralta dropped uh, a few feet away from him. 
And Yankees fans are just like, what? This guy isn't hitting, and yeah, now he's, he's in center field. It's had a rough year. And so they're actually yearning for Harrison Bader to be the savior in New York. So what that does is, is it creates a storyline for a deal that initially for Yankees fans, and I don't just say in New York because Yankees fans are all over the world, going, what? Why'd they trade Montgomery for this guy who is a defensive specialist, but he's got plantar fasciitis? Yeah. Okay. But now they're like, okay, well, at least we're going to have Bader, and there's no way he can be worse than Hicks. So now Harrison Bader is going to, whenever he gets a chance to play, and they want it to be soon there, he will be under the microscope. Big time. And they need that to work out. Offensively, even though that is not why they got Bader, I know, I mean, Brian Cashman, I watched that press conference, the general manager said, you know, we've got the big bats, but Aaron Judge is better suited to right field, and Stanton isn't somebody that you rely on for defense, so he was brought for defense and potentially pinch running in the postseason. They'll still get into the postseason, but that lead has shrunk substantially. So now Harrison Bader, right or wrong, his offense will be under the microscope. You're under the microscope even if you're like the the 25th, 6th, 7th man on the roster, depending on doubleheader day in New York. But now considering the attention center field has gotten with Hicks' performance and the Yankees are losing, even though really the losses aren't at the moment about pitching, they've only given up double-digit runs once over the last couple of weeks, and it happened to be in St. Louis against the Cardinals in that 12-9 Cardinal win, that Bader's offense will be under the microscope. So this thing is truly turning into a hell of a situation in New York. I mean, no matter what, both the Dodgers and the Yankees can't win the World Series. So one of them is going to come up short. The difference is the ire for the Yankees not winning the World Series after the start to their season, or even the American League pennant, is exponentially greater than what it's going to be in Los Angeles just because of the nature of the two markets. And the fact that in this case, the Yankees look like they might be one of the all-time great Yankees teams. And here over about the last month and change, they have been, I wouldn't even say average, they've actually been below 500. Yeah. So schadenfreude, I don't really have, I I don't know if I have a team. Well, yeah, the Rams, I did, you know, from 2016 to present day. Big time. But I feel like that. You know, it's like the Empire Strikes Back, and it's over, and they won, and I'll move on. But I, as a Missouri guy, I don't cheer against Kansas. I don't really care, honestly. I, I think do. if we were in Kansas City, I would. But you're more of a basketball guy. I'm yeah. more of a football guy, right. and so they're irrelevant. Yeah. The one time they played and it mattered, Missouri got it, and that will always be there because they'll never play to be number one again. I mean, if they do, holy crap. Yeah, our world. And I don't really have, like, hatred toward the Cubs, because for either. the most part in my life, for the most part, they've been irrelevant to the Cardinals. I guess you had 2015 and you had 2003, but for the most part, they've kind of 89. Uh, but for the most part, they've been irrelevant. Uh, Blackhawks have been a thorn in the side of the Blues at times. That's why 2016 was so great with the uh, Brower goal. But uh, yeah, I don't have I don't have that. And I, if anything, I have an appreciation for the the forces in their respective sports such as the Yankees, such as Alabama, Duke in college basketball. Yeah. I have an appreciation for the for the Patriots. I like to see the greats get challenged. Yeah. And so it's for me, this is for me. I know some people don't share this opinion. For me, I would I mean if the Cardinals do get to the World Series, which I would put at about a 10% chance at this moment, 
uh, even though I think it's about 90% chance they win the Central. Right. Uh, if the Cardinals do get to the World Series, I would want it to be against the Yankees. Yeah, that'd be the. I mean, that's the best case. Scenario. So I was in this weird spot in 2007 with Missouri football, where I was cheering for Kansas because it was better for Missouri if Kansas was undefeated when Missouri played them at Arrowhead. Right. And I remember saying that to Gary Pinkle, and he goes, "Well, there's never been a situation in my life where I'm cheering for Kansas, so I don't know where you're coming from with that." Right. And I go, "Well, I, I, but I understand." And I, I tried to explain. I go, "You know what? I'm sitting in your living room. And <laughs> you probably don't want me here anyway, much less me telling you why you should have been cheering for Kansas." So Jackson, you're talking about Schadenfreude and seeing the Yankees go down in part because of this trade. Where are you? Yeah, I, I'm similar to you. My shot in Freud is very limited. Uh, don't like the Mets. Don't like the Dodgers. And then pretty much every team in the SEC other than Missouri I don't like. Um, outside of that, yeah, I don't think like I really feel shot in Freud. I just find it New York is, and I have family. My mom's from out there, and so I'm kind of more connected into that. I hear a lot more about that. And they're so critical of – Little moves like that. They pay attention over there, man. They're very much locked into the Yankees, and the Yankees are the Yankees and Mets dominate during the summer. And I, I just find it fun, like that if you're going to, like, if the Yankees are a Jenga board, I guess you call it a Jenga board, a Jenga tower, that the Cardinals <laughs> wow. pulling out Montgomery could be the piece that makes it all collapse. You know, maybe not Sean Freud, but a little smirk comes on my face, you know, because they're the two, the two most winning franchises in baseball history. And I don't know. I just I, I think it's uh, not comical, but I like it. Yeah, well, I, I'm sure other Cardinal fans feel the same way. Uh, we got this text from a guy who says, I have a friend who is a lifelong Yankees fan, and he hasn't watched a game since the Montgomery trade, not because he loved Montgomery. It's because he doesn't know what the fr- Yankees front office is doing. That's in the 3-4. I would imagine there are some people in Milwaukee who feel similarly, yeah, probably more intensely, actually, because it's not like people are like, well, Montgomery is the guy. He was a guy. I just, I'm, I mean, I was sitting on vacation watching MLB Network's coverage of the trade deadline, and when they said the Cardinals got Montgomery, I'm going, what in the world? How did that happen? Is he damaged goods? Why would a team in the spot the Yankees are in trade him? And I know they were trying to get Pablo Lopez from the Marlins, but my God, I mean, just an absolute. And listen, and even if Bader winds up killing it there, and Montgomery doesn't work out here, or he gets hurt, or whatever the case might be. I can't results-oriented it. The Cardinals needed pitching. I got it. Bader offensively wasn't going to be an answer. You already have a couple spots in the lineup that are questionable offensively. He's adding to that. You take that out of the mix, and you add a pitcher of Montgomery's caliber. If Montgomery would have been one of those names like Odorizzi, like Quintana, uh, that was tossed around, and you know you weren't going to get Castillo because he went well before the deadline. And I'm like, man, I like Jordan Montgomery. I'm kind of surprised the Cardinals could be in the mix for him. But it just came out of absolutely nowhere. Absolutely. And I think it came out of absolutely nowhere for Yankees fans, and that's why they're so tilted. Uh, your thoughts are welcome. 65780. Uh, tell Lil Smirk to quit using long German words in here. That's from the <laughs> 573. I didn't know how to spell it last night. I had to, I had to, you had to look it up. Yeah, how to spell it. It's a tough word to spell. I feel like I'm on the receiving end of so much of it that I could rattle it off in a heartbeat. Yeah, I hear you. I wonder if the Montgomery Bader trade was done so they couldn't, so they could flip Bader to Miami for Pablo Lopez. That's from the three one four. It was done with like 15 minutes left in the deadline. But if like. you read the the coverage of that story in New York, they were talking about how fans aren't happy about it, and one of the reasons why the deal didn't get announced until 15 minutes before the trade deadline was because the Yankees and Marlins were trying to work Got out it. a deal for Lopez. Okay. The Cardinals and Montgomery had been agreed to the night before, Got before it. the Quintana trade, actually. Oh, really? Yeah. yeah. I did not know that. 
Uh, that's according to Joel Sherman. Uh, all right, we will take a commercial break. Come back with the final segment of Bloom Party here on 101 News. We're right back to the balloon party on the Tim McKernan podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. 21 ESPN. My name is Tim McKernan, and we have a few more minutes with you before BK and Ferrario take over at the top of the hour. I thought my clock management today was a was a B, but apparently it wasn't because here we are, and it's 10:54. Clarkson Jewelers time check, and the question that I loved the most that Jackson sent over. I won't have time to address today, but we will carry it over for tomorrow, assuming nothing huge happens in the world of sports. I know the, the PGA has got that Tiger Woods meeting today at the BMW, and that will be a, a whole thing. Uh, but uh, but maybe this sets the stage. If people want to email me, tmckernan at InsideSTL.com, there are answers, and it can be a sampling, kind of like what we do with the podcast. Jackson. For sure. You can for send sure. in questions and comments anytime for that. tmckernan at InsideSTL.com. Any topic beyond sports is welcome. T-M-C-K-E-R-N-A-N at InsideSTL.com. All right, here it is. I was watching one of my favorite movies the other day, Up in the Air, 2009, shot here in St. Louis. Yep. Uh, that brought up a poignant topic that his local ties in more than one way. George Clooney asks J.K. Simmons, why do kids love athletes? To which Simmons replies, because they date supermodels. Clooney responds with, no, that's why we love athletes. Kids love athletes because they follow their dreams. A perfect example of this moment in the film is St. Louis and friend of the show, Chris Nagel who will now get a chance to compete for the Corn Ferry Tour Finals, where if he performs well, he will get his PGA Tour card. Explain from your knowledge of Chris why he has continued to follow his dream of playing on tour and the ups and downs surrounding it. Do you think these underdog stories of inspiration and determination are what makes sports so awesome? With all entertainment in the world, sports still dominates the zeitgeist, and I have to think stories like Chris's are a part of the reason. It's a great question. I love the topic. It's a topic that I could do a whole show on. It's certainly not a topic I'm going to rush through here in our final couple of minutes. But if there are stories like Chris Nagel's you can think of, uh, send them in. I, I think two recent ones that you can localize, even though they're they're different extremes, because Nagel has never really quote unquote made it. He's played in two U.S. Opens, including this year at the Country Club at Brookline. But would it be Matt Carpenter and his resurgence, Rick yep. Ankiel, and coming from nowhere after facing what he faced to return as a hitter. People appreciate comebacks, uh, and people appreciate underdogs. And I think they apply them to their own lives or their children's lives and point to those as inspiration to keep battling, to persevere, to face adversity, to pick yourself up, to never give up on a dream. Uh, And I think that is why a lot of people who otherwise couldn't care any less about Chris Nagel in golf, no disrespect to Chris, who's somebody I know, and, uh, and certainly couldn't be more excited for the opportunity he has uh, and, and don't even know what Corn Ferry is, they will be following it because they want to see a St. Louisan who's 39 years old, married with three kids, which might not seem old for golf, but for playing on the PGA Tour, it, it usually is. I mean, yeah. you look at the top 10 players in the world, and most of them are well be- below the age of 30. And here he is, and he's leading the field in driving distance at the third round at the U.S. Open. He's 39 years old. Point being, it's not about golf. It's about 
overcoming adversity. It's about inspiring people to chase their dreams, even when everybody else tells you to stop. Those are the stories. Cinderella Man. Those are the kinds of stories with uh, Russell Crowe playing the role of, what was the name James of the James Jim Braddock. Jim Jim Braddock, yep. That, that kind of story. Those are the things that get people going. Those are the things that lead to incredible 30 for 30s. Uh, so yes, that's Rocky. I mean, Rocky to me yeah. is the ultimate. Right, exactly. Yeah. Albeit fictitious, but that is why that brought people uh, you know, to the table and got people and got that best picture uh, yeah, so many years six. ago. So uh, if that if that resonates with you, s- send yours in, tmccurnan at insidestl.com, because I really do like the topic and I do think there is something to it. All right, BK and Ferrario are coming up next. For Action Jackson, I'm Tim McKernan. This has been Balloon Party on 101 ESPN. You've been listening to the Balloon Party on the Tim McKernan Podcast. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Peloton, let's go. This holiday, with the right music and the right motivation from world-class instructors. We're going to pick it up a notch. It's the holiday season. You might just surprise yourself with what you're capable of. Work out to thousands of live and on-demand classes, from running to cycling to yoga. Try Peloton risk-free with a 30-day home trial. New members only, not available in remote locations. See additional terms at onepeloton.com slash home-trial. Peloton, motivation that moves you.